Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Predetermined, a pro wrestling hangout. I'm your host, Garrett Callender, and with me, as always, a man who no longer has a computer because he was bootlegging Dreamcast games, Derek Halpin. Pretty sure you can get me into trouble for saying something like that on, on the air. Oh, I don't think so. You don't think so, but that guy who gave us that one-star review one time may be listening to all of our episodes waiting for an opportunity to sink the ship. I don't know if you noticed, Mr. One Star took his one star away. <laughs> Did he replace it with a better review? I don't know. We're, we're still at 70, but the one star is gone. Maybe he came back, listened, heard that we had been watching some death matches. Maybe we apologized to Necro Butcher. You know, a lot has changed in the last year, Derek. It, 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 yeah, we're in a different place than we were a little over a year ago. And uh, like you said, I currently do not have a computer. But uh hasn't stopped me from living my life. And yes, you were also correct. I was maybe doing some activities on my computer that led to it crashing, and maybe I got what I deserved. But uh it's been it's been a rough few days without it, but uh I'm, I'm getting <laughs> by. So I don't think there's anything wrong with this because it's not like Dreamcast is making it easy for you to find caution semen. Uh you know, obviously Otis and Jizz's favorite game. But what game were you downloading at the time that, like, fucked your computer? Like, it, it, what is the thing that you can look back on and be like, God damn this thing? Nothing. I wasn't downloading any game whatsoever at the time. There's a program online called ImageBurn, and this basically allows you to write any Dreamcast uh, game to a CDR and play it in your Dreamcast. And I've used it before. I've had it on my computer, the same computer before, and uh, no issues. This time, it destroyed my laptop. I think people Bummer need dude. to know this about you, that Dreamcast is your favorite video game system. Yeah. Yeah. Any wrestling That'll... games on the Dreamcast? Uh, WWF Attitude, WWF Royal Rumble, and I think that's it. There are a couple. Attitude was kind of the... Like WWE War or WWF Warzone, but with a few extra characters, it was kind of the same, right? It was the sequel to Warzone, I believe. It wasn't that but bad. I, it was just more characters. It was fine. I I don't think it aged well like a lot of those wrestling games at the time. There's gonna be a moment where we come back to pro wrestling video games in this podcast. That's gonna come up again here pretty soon. Is there a new 2K coming out that <laughs> that I'm going to be terrible there's a, at? There's a 2K coming out every year that we're both going to be terrible at because they've gotten way <laughs> too fucking hard. It makes me sad when I'm too stupid for video games. Well, maybe the reason you're too stupid is because you were up super late last night watching a hockey game. Hey, I was up very late. I was up screaming. The cats hate me. But guess what, guys? Goddamn St. Louis Blues are going to the Western Conference Finals for the first time, and I literally do not remember when. Didn't they go to the Western Conference Finals against the Kings just a couple years ago? Did we make it that far? I thought you did. Uh, it's hard to remember. Uh, there's been so many losses. <laughs> you know, it made me realize I like underdogs and I like assholes. And I think that's why wrestling's a pro just a perfect fit for us. <laughs> oh, Garrett, I'm so sorry that... Uh... We're both. The thing is, we're trying to do this podcast today. I think both of us are pretty tired at the moment, so you might get a pretty loopy episode of the podcast today. Hit our goddamn music.
I know that we're not the only ones that this is the case for. So, I mean, I'm not trying to make it seem like that we're special. What's it like, for, at least from your perspective, when you're not watching pro wrestling, when you actually are a fan and of a real sports team? <laughs> if, if that makes like like I don't know I don't I don't know how to word it but what's it like to be a, a have as a hobby a pro sports fandom that is like legitimate and how does that compare to professional wrestling? Well, I think I feel like hockey or you know wrestling fans could probably actually enjoy hockey pretty well. When you're watching games, there are clear heels and baby faces on that ice. I mean, it's all relative. Oh uh, yeah, nah. I think there's been times that even for both of us where there's probably been somebody on our team that's like, that guy's an asshole, but I'm happy he's on my team. Well, sure. But not every fan in the arena feels the same way. Like I said, it's see like the, the, the great debate these days is whether or not baby faces and heels even exist. Are we in a different era? Have the rules changed? I don't know. I was watching new Japan earlier and I was trying to figure out, who really was the heel in they had a junior heavyweight match on uh, wrestling Dotaku that was dragon Lee versus uh fuck fuck bone soldier. Why can't I think of his like Ishimori? It was, yeah, here's that part where we're tired and we're going to start forgetting names. And they're going to be like, <laughs> gonna be like you forget names all the time. Motherfucker. Um, this is going to be, this is going to be that episode, but it was watching that. Cause I mean, bullet club is heel, right? But is Ishimori heel? Like, that guy's never really hanging out with them. He's just like a straggler on the end that doesn't have any buddies. I don't know. The whole reason I brought up this question was you and I had in private recently discussed how, I mean, especially I think after like Mania or in the build to Mania, we had discussed that it was nice to occasionally step away from talking about pro wrestling all the time to go back to talking about, you know, our other hobbies. And that's not to say that I think that we hate pro wrestling as a hobby or anything, but it's just, I don't know. There's, there's so much material to cover and, and so much content to watch that it it can really wear you out. And so there is a high that you get from watching pro wrestling that feels very similar to a high you get watching like a legitimate sport, if you want to call it that. But I mean, put it this way. The, the game I watched last night, we were in a game seven which for our, our non-hockey fans out there, pretty fucking important. Means we've played six other games previously, pretty beat up at that point. And this it's game... winner-take-all. Oh, yeah, winner-take-all. Went into double overtime, which means the first puck to go in wins. Driving me crazy. That means last night I watched one hockey game for the length of a WWE pay-per-view. Yeah, that's fair. But guess what? There was a definite winner at the end. There was no fuck finish. Is is that the big difference? Like because like I like I said, you do get a rush. There's something satisfying about watching both from a like an entertainment standpoint. But I think with like when you're watching like athletics, you don't have to uh swim through so much bullshit to get to the thing that you love. I Was guess that fair to say. I, I mean, I saw I saw somebody post the question on Twitter today. They said, "As a pro wrestling fan, what is your least favorite thing about pro wrestling?" And I thought about it for a long time. I thought about all the bitching online that you deal with. I thought about 
everyone that comes up to you and reminds you that pro wrestling's fake. And, and actually, the conclusion I came to, the thing that's hardest about pro wrestling, being a pro wrestling fan, is that you have to wade through so much absolutely terrible bullshit and try to justify it to get to the stuff that makes the reason you love it worth it. And I mean, the same thing could be said like this season for the St. Louis Blues, like the fun part of the season is we were literally in last place and now we're going to the Western Conference Finals. So, you know, you had that really shitty part, but it's like sticking through the shitty times that makes that payoff that much better. Um, I'm trying to think like last night, obviously I was screaming my head off, having a great time, feeling so good. Couldn't sleep because I was just so amped from the game. But I was trying to think, like, when was the last time that I had that same level reaction to a pro wrestling win uh, that I did, you know, watching a legitimate sports team win a mat- win a game? Right. Uh, I mean, I remember popping hard. Live or just on TV? Uh, either. Because I, okay. I would say, like, one of the hardest I ever popped for a win was Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania 30. Uh, yeah. Live? I think the hardest I've ever popped at a pro wrestling show live was Zack Sabre Jr. beating Roderick Strong for the PWG title. Because that was just a long year of watching him destroy every babyface that came along. Sabre Jr. was still a babyface at this point. He was super over. Everyone loved him. And I just, the pop in that room was enormous. You would never know you were in just a, a shitty little Legion hall. And it's just, it is that, you know, you go to, what, 12, 13 shows leading up to that point where you're just like, man, this has ended on a bad guy winning every time. But when you finally get that that win, it, you can really have, like, a legitimate happy moment. Yeah. I think that's what's hard to convey to non-wrestling fans is that months and months of good storytelling that culminates in a... a major victory for one of your favorite characters. It really does simulate the, the story of a season or of a comeback or, or a playoff run in professional athletics. And I don't know. It's just, I, I bring it up because this is like when we step away from talking about pro wrestling, there are things that feel similar. And I will tell you this, you know, we talk sometimes about fantasy booking on here. I do fantasy booking with things that aren't pro wrestling. Like, I'll fantasy book or rebook TV shows or movies and sit there about thinking about how you could hypothetically do it better or what would have been a more shocking turn. In Derek's <laughs> mind, everybody, Walter White is still alive and well. Spoilers, everybody. Walter <laughs> White dies at the end of Breaking Bad. Ha ha! Gotcha. It's not a spoiler yet. But, uh, <laughs> God. Yeah, so here's a fun story. This is a, an interesting segue. So one of the things I had asked us to do for this episode in particular, because as if you're listening to this, it is May 9th, 20 years ago on this day in the year 1999. You and I were both 12 years old, and I had just celebrated my 12th birthday uh, a few days prior, but my request for my birthday present that year, I had asked my mother to take me to WCW Slamboree at the TWA Dome in St. Louis, Missouri. My mom at the time, single parent, didn't really give two shits about professional wrestling. 
Does she now? And no, nothing's <laughs> changed. Does your mom listen to the show ever? I don't think so. She she may have listened to one or two of our early episodes or bits and pieces, but podcasts really aren't her thing. I don't think she. I, mean, I think my mom has ADD. I don't think she has the attention span for that. And uh, yeah, uh, that was the thing I wanted. I had never been to a pro wrestling show before. I was a big WCW guy, as we've you know covered before. And I don't know what is what it has. What names have has that building gone through? It's been the TWA Dome. It was the Edward Jones Dome. Now it's like what the Dome in America Center or something. <laughs> yeah, it's just that empty dome and scary downtown St. Louis. <laughs> well, that's where the XFL St. Louis team is going to be. So it's not going to be empty and scary for too long, or at least not empty. It might still be scary. Yeah, did I see. Oh, sorry, not to get off topic on this for too long, but did I see where Disney? and Fox have both signed deals with the XFL and that it is set to debut after what was it? A couple days after the next Super Bowl. Yeah. The idea is that they want the XFL to be like the football is going to be year round and the XFL is going to pick up when the NFL season ends, which I mean, that's smart. (laughs) I guess if people like want their football, don't try to cut in on the NFL's market Make your own season. (laughs) And our players stand for the goddamn national anthem. It's going to be really interesting to see how the XFL thing plays out. Yeah. I mean, that being said, I want to go to St. Louis's first game just because, you know, we didn't, I never got to go to an XFL game before. And, you know, we should absolutely go to the first game if for no other reason to talk about on the podcast. Absolutely. Let's make that happen. So anyways, I'd asked you to watch this show because, it, like I said, this was the first pro wrestling show that I really had a good chance of going to. I asked for it as my birthday gift that year. I think I asked my mom if she would take me. She said no, but she said, hey, I'll see if your Uncle Tim will take you. And Uncle and Tim said, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and Uncle Tim basically said, go fuck yourself, but not... You see, you you trying to be funny ruined the story because... There's a sad twist here where oh, my Uncle Tim had actually said he would. Oh, no. And then when the day came to buy the tickets, he backed out at the last minute. And it broke my heart. And I'm pretty sure I cried myself to sleep that night because I wanted to go see pro wrestling that bad. Well, I'll go ahead and tell you, I, I don't care how you feel about your Uncle Tim. I think that, you know, backing out last minute, he'll move. A total he'll move. <laughs> I don't even know if I've ever... I, don't, I haven't talked about this with anybody. Ever, it broke my heart, and that's that's my cousin's that's my cousin's dad. Well, can and... I can I tell you what actually happened to Tim? And it does tie into this show. Okay, to Slamboree. Tim is in line, ready to buy tickets, and this is going to end up happening throughout what felt like every match on the Slamboree card. Right as he got up there, fucking interference from the Steiners. They beat him with a chair. He went home, no tickets, and he didn't. He was. He was too embarrassed to admit to you that he got beat up by two men in the box office line. Yeah. Yeah. So this was supposed to be my first... Pro- uh, you're fucking doing shit out of order. You're too loopy. You're sleepy. We're not even talking about the show yet. You won't even let the story take place. I'm letting you go, man. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, I'm just... I'm- <laughs> I like to talk. I wanted to interject. I wanted to add some fun into the sadness. But if you want to just keep it sad. I'm I'm getting there. 
Okay. I'm getting there. It's a story. We're at the last place blues part of this this story here. All right. So, cried myself to sleep. Fast forward. I get over it. I go to my first pro wrestling show in 2004 in Springfield, Illinois. It's a WWE house show. I get to see Triple H wrestle Chris Benoit. Now, I had a great time at that show. And now, years later, I'm doing a pro wrestling podcast. Very happy. I have only read about what happened at the show. I have never actually watched it. And this is a completely weird show out of context because there are things during this time period in WCW that I vaguely remember, but there's bits and pieces that don't make any sense to me. Like I know for a fact that this is after the Wolfpack and the NWO black and white joined forces after the finger poke of doom. This is like months after that, but Hogan's not around and the NWO black and white is still around but it's led by stevie ray and there's kind of a new version of the flock where raven and perry saturn are a tag team and kidman and mysterio are a tag team and the horsemen are around but they're heels now like there's so many weird bits and pieces to wc i don't know where it fits into the big picture but i asked you to go back and watch this with me to kind of relive what could have been this might have been my first w- or wrestling show and it wasn't. Should I regret it? What did I miss out on? Did I get the better end of the deal? Did I get the raw end of the deal? Garrett, what'd you think of Slamboree 1999? Like I said, this comes from a time when we were definitely watching every single week. For and sure. this just brings back so many memories. And it was watching just a lot of my favorite people. This, though, I, I would say yes. You should, you know, if you could go back in time. You would have had a very good time at this show, though. This was a very, very Steiner heavy (laughs) pay-per-view. Yes, it was. And I don't remember plot wise what was going on with the Steiners during this time period. Well, I think, you know, a few years earlier, the Steiners had broken up and Scott had joined the NWO with Holland Nash and he turned on his brother Rick and they had been singles competitors up to this point and now they were finally getting back together at this at this pay-per-view and yeah you're right this is this is a steiner this is the steiner brothers reunion pay-per-view if you think it that way yeah like in a a show with pretty big main events i mean sting and goldberg is huge and this is what goldberg coming off of his first loss so this is sting trying to give him his second loss yeah um I guess Goldberg suffered his first loss back in December at the Starcade pay-per-view. And yeah, I mean, it's like, again, it's crazy to think what was going on at this time period because there's a lot of bits and pieces that don't make any sense. But watch this show. If you have a chance, if you have the WWE Network, you have access to this show. Go check it out. You don't have to watch the whole thing. I will acknowledge there's there's some bullshit in the middle. There's a, there's so many botches on this show, dude. Like there's so many moments where guys try to pick guys up or try to catch them and they just kind of fall off their shoulders onto the mat and they try to make something out of it and it just looks like shit. What was your favorite match though? I mean, we both watched the entire show. Was there a match that you really enjoyed out of this? I mean, you told people they can go check it out, but is there is there something that really is worth actually checking out on this show? I would say there are three or four matches worth checking out on the show. 
Um, some for good reasons, some for bad reasons. I actually thought that the opener, the the three-way tag match to open this show for the tag team championships between Kidman and Mysterio, Raven and Saturn, and Malenko and Chris Benoit, I thought that was a great opening match. I thought that was a lot of fun. And it ended with uh, Raven and Saturn walking out with the tag team championships. You said you liked this one, too. Yeah, this was, I love a good long match, and this was just a good, exciting opener for a pay-per-view. The crowd was hot, and just seeing a match between these six guys go nearly 20 minutes as an opener, loved it. Loved Especially it. Especially for a WCW match, because like WCW matches are notoriously short. Right? And I I enjoyed, you know, it's when I'm watching all these guys walk out, though, and I see Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko... And you look at them and you're like, well, they're going to win because everybody else is not even wearing wrestling gear. <laughs> <laughs> like Rey Mysterio, no mask overalls, which overalls with one loop seems super uncomfortable to wrestle in. And also something to grab them by and pull them back in a tag match. Right. Maybe what not, not what I would wear. Uh, this, I was all, this wasn't I was going to say this wasn't too long after Mysterio was unmasked. This was like almost right after that. So this is a weird... If you want to go see what Rey Mysterio looks like, he looks like a baby boy. He looks so young. Like He's pretty terrifying. He finally now, at the age he is, looks the age he was supposed to back then. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Bigelow versus Knobs in a hardcore match, Derek. Was a shit show. (laughs) It was just like the same thing happening over and over again with either a trash can or a cooking pan. So I guess this match was originally booked as a hardcore match, and then they announced it while they were in the ring that it was Falls Count Anywhere. Yeah, that's WCW for you. And the thing I enjoyed most in this, though, was the announcers, because every time somebody got something smashed over their head and it sounded so loud and painful, they were just cackling. I was mortified because I'm watching (laughs) two men get brain damage, and they're laughing at how loud the sound of them getting hit is. There was a botched table spot somewhere in here, too, towards the end. And yet, there's, I mean, it was just 11 minutes of them throwing trash cans at each other and hitting each other over the head, and there was nothing pretty about it. I will th- I think the funniest thing is that I think Tony Schiavone at the end of the match said, in some ways, there was something spectacular about that. Like, he made, like, he tried to... <laughs> No, I remember thinking that line like that's a weird compliment. It really was. It was like it was like despite your observations that that was total shit, there was actually something pretty pretty memorable about that. Something to that effect. Well, okay, what was that thing? Can you look at that match and figure out what the thing that little dick Tony Schiavone was talking about? Yeah, actually, and that the thing that I I will remember about that match is I felt like I watched the same thing happen over and over and over again for eleven and a half minutes. Correct. <laughs> uh, I did want to ask, what was it like seeing Conan and Stevie Ray? I mean, th- one of the things I had said to you while while I was watching this is like, if nothing else, the takeaway from this is is like, regardless of the match quality. This pay-per-view did put me back in time a little bit to kind of look at the roster and kind of see people I hadn't thought about too much in a long time and made me remember why I was a fan of WCW, if not 
because, like I said, because of the matches or the storylines or whatever, it's just there was an atmosphere. I guess it reminded me of what it felt like to watch a WCW show. This show actually reminded me why I thought WCW was bigger as a kid. So, you know, when they would go to towns, somebody, you know, would have an exclusive on the arenas. So they had to get their own venue. WWE always ran out of the Keel Center or the Scott Trade Center or the Savas Center or the whatever the fuck it enterprise rent a center now or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is now where your hockey team plays exactly but then wcw was always running out of the twa dome which is a football stadium you know and in my mind i'm like well the football stadiums are where wrestlemania is that means wcw's bigger but then watching this and realizing oh they have the top completely blacked out but I looked, and the attendance is still over twenty thousand. So it might, yeah, it might still be just over what WWE would have drawn, right? At Savage, and I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of that was comped. But I think people forget that even during the shittiest moments of the Monday Night Wars, wrestling was still doing really big things. Shows were still getting huge attendance numbers. The ratings were still huge. I. Th- like it's hard, like especially in, with every week you hear about where WWE's ratings are now. I don't know. Wrestling was such a big deal, and uh, I don't know. This was this was a fun one to go back and watch. Please, please tell me your thoughts on Little Nate, Charles Robinson versus Gorgeous George. Match of the night, Derek. <laughs> Match of the night. <laughs> what would Meltzer give this? Meltzer probably would give this around a two. I gave. <laughs> what's what's it get on the calendar scale? On the calendar scale, it gets four and a half burritos. <laughs> I like that we. I like that you measure your matches in burritos. That's that's <laughs> clever. Yeah, I uh, yeah four and a half burritos. Some other matches might be in burgers, nuggets. I don't know. This one's a burrito. And, you know, the what brings it up that high? The star power, Derek. The star power. And to me, at this time, no bigger star than Lil Nate himself, Charles Robinson. He is, he has all the confidence and none of the skill. And I, I'll be honest, I was pulling for him. I was pulling for him. This is, a, I guess, appropriate time to ask this question. Garrett, who's your favorite wrestling referee? Okay, yes, thank you. This is what I wanted to talk about that I think we're missing in current wrestling that I hope AEW takes advantage of. I love referees. I love when you go, like, especially if you're going to local indie promotions, you, you know, you get to have a relationship with the referee. You have a referee. Because they're kind of, because they're kind of a rock star themselves, but not enough for most people to give a shit about. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Yes. You feel like the casual person sitting in the audience doesn't give a shit because they're still treating the official like an official, but you're watching a character. Yeah. My all-time favorite referee right now is Rick Knox, the PWG referee. The crowd loved the shit out of that guy, and they would always yell at him to go over the top rope, and if he started to go through the middle rope, everyone would boo, and then he would stop and then climb over the top rope, and the entire crowd would pop. And they do that nearly every time he enters the ring for every match. 
And it's just, and then occasionally he gets involved in the match where he'll either throw a super kick or do like a flip over the top rope and take some guys out and help the baby faces <laughs> in their time of need. Cause he's so used to getting kicked in the face by the young bucks. But they also had another referee named Justin Borden who everyone would just boo and tell him he's a piece of shit. And <laughs> for really no reason, I think at some point he had botched a couple matches and that just got him heat forever. And what was funny is when Roderick Strong would come out to defend his title, Rick Knox would be in the crowd or in the ring and he would go, no, 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 not you. I want the other one. <laughs> so the, so the heels would always want the referee that the crowd hated. And I love, I love that indie feeling of, you know, knowing the referee. Cause like in WWE, we're seeing these dudes multiple times a week, but we know nothing about these referees. And I love that this was a time that Charles Robinson was Ric Flair's referee, but he was also just a regular referee. You know, other yeah. matches, you didn't have to worry about him. But with Rick, he was going to fuck you. And I really miss having interaction with a referee on a main, you know, wrestling company. Like in ROH, the crowd will either boo or cheer Todd Sinclair. Like, I love yelling shit at Todd. That's, you know, that's fun. It's I been want... a long time since I've heard you get this excited to talk about a pro wrestling subject, and you were just going nuts <laughs> about pro wrestling referees. It is amazing. I was thinking about this the whole time during this match, where I just, I really miss them being kind of a fun character. And I know WWE would hate it if a referee got over. Like, if there was a guy who was just getting cheered, they would hate Because they didn't shit. ask for it. Exactly. Right. Yeah, that's just that's Vince McMahon being a control freak. And and Charles Robinson sells like a motherfucker in this match. Well, I I just this all started with me asking who your favorite referee is and it's coming back to me telling you Charles Robinson will always be my favorite referee. Like I don't see anything changing that. The close second and there's a story behind this before we get back to Slamboree. There was a period of shows between 2004 and 2006 where every time I went to a WWE show, referee Mike Chioda would come out for his match. And either me or my friend Sean Myers would yell, Mike Chioda! He would look in our general direction and throw up devil horns every time. <laughs> and he's not Every your time. No. I mean, Mike Kyoto is great, but he's, but he's not Charles Robinson. He's not Lil Nate. I think the thing, so one of the things we'll attach to this podcast whenever it comes out, if anyone dares listen to this piece of shit, <laughs> there's a picture I took in 2004 with Charles Robinson, Tony Chimmel. I tried to get a picture with him. He wouldn't fucking do it. He was an asshole. Charles Robinson, I asked him for a picture. He said he couldn't because he had to do something, but he said he would come back later and take a picture with me. He held up his end of the bargain. He came back later, and we have a picture of me in a John Cena shirt and a John Cena skull cap. And I, I got my arm around Lil Nate, and Lil Nate's got his arm around me. <laughs> Charles Robinson is my favorite referee, and he doesn't win this match at Slambury 1999. He loses to Gorgeous George. <laughs> Uh, I almost got my picture with him once. Almost. Why not? 
Well, this is what happened. So I was at, this was before they were doing takeovers before Mania. This was, I guess, technically one of NXT's first house shows. They did it before Mania 31 in San Jose. And we didn't get tickets. And then like day of, they released a few more tickets on the floor. And we were literally in the back row of the seats on the floor uh, by the stage. And I turned around and I saw Charles Robinson over to the side. And I'm like, holy shit, I could get my picture with Lil Nate. Should I? And then right as I turned around, I was within three feet of Vince McMahon. Did you about shit? We locked eyes. And I paused and then just turned around like it didn't happen. And then with... <laughs> you were scared. <laughs> Just get to that part. You were scared to be in the presence of Vince McMahon. What am I supposed to do with that? I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just <laughs> saying let's. I, people want to hear this. Like if I turned around and said like, Vince, can I get a picture? Like he like already the crowd was so hot that night that part of us were like, he's going to be mad about how hot this crowd is for this show. <laughs> but, but the show was supposed to be over and the crowd was so hot. I shit you not. Vince McMahon paid the building to let the show go another hour. Wow. Just the crowd was so hyped to see the NXT stars that Vince McMahon that night did do us all a favor and gave us more show. You should have got your picture taken with him. Actually, he, that... was feel... he was feeling good that night. Well, you know who was standing next to him? His son-in-law? Uh, yes, and Steph. But you weren't starstruck by them. No, I mean, they were there, but a combination of God and the devil stood behind me. <laughs> <laughs> Vince McMahon and Charles Robinson. <laughs> I, I was just meaning Vince was, you know, both of those in one. But yeah, I guess we can say that Charles Robinson is, is he God? Is God, yeah. <laughs> Why because he not? decides the outcome of a Ric Flair match, not you. Go back, watch this match if you want to see some whatever wrestling and see Charles Robinson, the referee, being a little mini version of Ric, Ric Flair. It's fantastic if you haven't heard about it up to this point. I enjoyed the hell out of Roddy Piper versus Ric Flair, even it was if it was just two old dudes hitting each other on the chest really hard. <laughs> Twelve minutes of that, by the way. Really, to me, the moment of the night is Bret Hart stood up for you, Derek. That night, he knew you couldn't be there. He hadn't been there in a couple months. He showed up to play the role of Derek Halpin for you. What, because he smacked Bill Goldberg with a fucking folding chair? Yes. Sting, <laughs> Sting and Goldberg are fighting. Goldberg spears Sting. Bret Hart walks in the ring, smashes him straight in the head with a steel chair. Unprotected. He is dead now. And all I could think is, God, Derek would have loved that. I'd be the biggest Bret Hart fan right now if I had been at that show, if I had seen that happen. The best thing, the only thing that could have made that better is if right after that spear, when he got in the ring, he said, all right, enough of this shit and fucking ended Goldberg right there. He just kills Goldberg. <laughs> it can be done. Finish. Me and you, Not a sting. big Bret Hart fan, but man, things could have been way different. <laughs> And then if you're wondering what happens after the match is already interrupted by Bret Hart, he pieces out, both Steiners come in, beat the shit out of everybody. Yeah, again, before we get to the fucking main event of this show, 
you're right. This is the theme. This is what you were alluding to earlier. The theme for WCW and Slamboree 1999, it felt like every fucking match had end of the match interference or post match interference from somebody. They just couldn't let it go. It was their signature. It was their John Hancock. They had to fucking do it every match. That would be the equivalent of if last night during the hockey game, Patrick Kane from the Blackhawks comes out and just like kills our goalie. At the the end of every period, just scores a goal that counts, but we don't know for who. Yeah, where did he come from? The rafters. The ref didn't see it, so it counts. (laughs) They had to call Toronto to challenge it, and they said, we don't know what to do. This has never happened before. And they're like, the puck puck did go in the net. (laughs) We can't deny that. Uh, it was a great game until the Steiners came out and beat the shit out of our whole team. <laughs> Which uh, Jeffy and, and Joey uh, saw the Steiners not long ago in Cape Girardeau. And can I look up my text to see what Jeffy sent me after meeting Scott and Rick? I would love to hear what that was like because goddamn... If the Steiner brothers aren't a couple of the biggest characters in pro wrestling history away from the ring, just as much as they are in it, man. (laughs) Just seeing a picture, just seeing the pictures that were posted. Like it's hard to believe the actual people I know have met and interacted with the Steiners. (laughs) He said, okay, I just found the text. He says, holy fuck, man. Rick Steiner looks like hammered shit. What? (laughs) Like hammered shit? And I asked if he met him and he said, no, Joey did. I didn't want to pay 40 bucks. I did watch him and then put in quotes, wrestle though. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think the Steiners would kick the shit out of us. A hundred percent. And then you know what they'd do? They would shit in like my pillowcase and my luggage and they would just hit you with it. Oh, and then, yeah, then they would like probably hold me out of a moving car and laugh as my as I was crying, as my face was too close to the road for comfort. Given the theme of this pay-per-view, I'm, it's not going to be surprising if the Steiners interv- intervene at the end of this fucking podcast episode. <laughs> I'm afraid to go to bed tonight. Like you I'm gonna, be. I'm gonna roll over to kiss my wife good night, and it's fucking Rick Steiner barking at me, and then I turn over and Big Papa Pump somehow slid in there. I Big loved booty daddy. that. Being said, I fucking loved Big Papa Pump when I was a kid. I loved him and Buff Bagwell so much. <laughs> like, Do you look know at, why? No, I was trying to figure it out while I was watching. Where I'm like, why? Why was Buff my guy? Why Why was I such a mark for Buff Bagwell as a child? It was the top hat, and it influenced you just a few years later. To wear That's a, why you got a heartogram top hat. Well, shut up, Derek. There's things. <laughs> <laughs> Garrett's like, we're talking about you right now. There, this isn't about me. There's very few things I'm embarrassed to talk about. I think my top hat years are up there. <laughs> I don't and think I, they should be. And I don't like that I have to pluralize years. Year. <laughs> it wasn't top hat months. <sighs> all right. Main event of this show. I thought it was actually all right. I think the thing that sucks when you, and then this applies to the WWF just as well as it does WCW, but 
one of the things about the Monday Night Wars era or the Attitude Era, whatever the hell you want to call it, so many of the matches from this era are just dudes throwing throwing fists. I think that's the case here for this main event between Nash and, and DDP for the world title. Lots of elbows, lots of fists, lots of not so much wrestling. I mean, I guess it's technically wrestling, but if you're looking for like a technical masterpiece, this isn't it. But you do get to see Kevin Nash walk out with the World Heavyweight title. If I had been in attendance for this show, that's what would have been most important to me. That's what would have stuck out. And that's why if if I had gone to this show, that's all I would have cared about. And I would have told you I had a great time. And I maybe ultimately in the long run, this may have made me... I don't know because I can't imagine if I had gone to the show that I would have had like floor seats or great seats for it. I probably would have had something mid-level or whatever. And I don't know if as a kid watching pro wrestling from that far away, especially a WCW show, I don't know if I would have had as good of a time. Would it have helped if you were in Puerto Rico and the ring was 60 miles from the the stands? I don't know. Different atmosphere. But... <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, I, 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 but I, you know, just playing hypotheticals. I mean, I may have been more devastated when WCW closed, but I don't know. I don't have, I don't have any regrets. I think, I think I'm kind of glad that my first show wasn't until 2004 when I got to be right there near the ring, right on the aisle when people came out and big WCW guy. But you know what? I think I'm fine watching it now in 2019 and getting what I needed to get out of it in this way. What was your takeaway? I think your takeaway wasn't anything to do with Slamboree 1999. It had everything to do with Slamboree 2000. (laughs) I love how the WWE network is like, well, you just finished 99. Shall I give you 2000? And I was like fucked up because it doesn't do things chronologically. It doesn't say, Hey, do you want to go see WCW's pay-per-view from the next month? They're like fast forward a year. Have your mind blown. They're like, main event of 99, Kevin Nash versus DDP. Every single match ended in interference. But will it this time? I don't know. Here's David Arquette versus Jeff Jarrett versus <laughs> DDP. And uh, one, one of WCW's, WCW was never great. They always wanted to match Hell in a Cell. And they had to try and make something better. And right. this may have been it, Derek. I did not think that that main event was that bad. <laughs> I don't believe you. The whole time I, think, I, <laughs> I think you're trying to bait me into watching something that's just gonna piss me off. I see going into it. I just remember David Arquette having it and everybody being pissed. I didn't remember that the story going into this was David Arquette being like, "I shouldn't have this," and he goes out and says like, "Okay, what I'm gonna do is I'm putting the title on the line, but DDP, you're fighting Jeff Jarrett." And Jeff Jarrett goes, oh, bullshit, you're the, <laughs> you, you're the heavyweight champion and you're going to fight me. And it seems fucked up that it, he treated it like law. Like David Arquette <laughs> had no choice. <laughs> he had no say in the matter but to fight inside of three steel cages stacked on top of each other. One has a hardcore room. The other, just a room of guitars. <laughs> and, and those guitars... It's important to remember that this was happening while Ready to Rumble was in theaters. 
This was David Arquette was in WCW at this time to promote the movie Ready to Rumble. But I don't think anybody saw it going. I mean, everyone, everyone who fucking cares about pro wrestling by now has heard about David Arquette becoming the WCW world champion about what a mistake that was and how many people hate it. You're telling me that it's you don't think it was necessarily a mistake. No, I think it was from a storyline standpoint. Well, when he was saying, you know, like, I don't deserve to have this because, you know, he didn't. And and he puts this on the line and the whole match, it seems like he's helping DDP. Like he's staying far away, but he's always like 10 steps behind everybody, kind of just like climbing up the cage after they're done doing everything. They get into the hardcore room and uh, DDP and Jeff Jarrett slam each other into the side of the cage and it collapses out. And just so you know, they worked me so hard with that. I out loud gasped. (laughs) (laughs) You thought they were in real danger? (laughs) Oh, I clutched my pearls, Derek. I was like, oh my. (laughs) And then I remembered, oh yeah, I guess uh, I don't. I don't remember DDP being paralyzed at any point, so I guess he's probably okay. Uh, you clutched your pearls. <laughs> What's the twist at the end of this match, Garrett? Because I know that I know there's a twist. Well, Jeff Jarrett and DDP have a have a real hit each other with guitar off for a while and explode about fifteen guitars or what it felt like. Uh, then DDP throws uh, so. The belt is on the top of the third cage, and you have to climb onto the top of that to get the belt. David Arquette has beat them up there. The re- the announcers are constantly asking, like, what is going on? <laughs> I love when the... <laughs> they break the fourth wall. I like when the announcers are confused, but then DDP hands him a guitar, and we're like, oh, okay, he's going up there to help DDP. He's going to keep Jeff Jarrett down. DDP gets up there, smacks him with a guitar, walks out the world champion. So David Arquette aligns himself with Jeff Jarrett. Uh, A good move. A good move in the long run for everybody involved. (laughs) Uh, Do you think Jeff Jarrett would remember that and kind of give him a payback right now? Because, I mean, he's working his way up the Indies. I think he deserves a title shot. This would have been a really great thing to review in the middle of David Arquette coming back into pro wrestling. Like, what's the status on him right now? Just still going. He's still working? He's still working. He's still doing matches. Like, this is just I, this is just his fucking job now. It's just the novelty has kind of worn off on it being David Arquette. Like, he actually has the scream mask down the side of his trunks now. I was going to say, like, I haven't heard anything since, like, Nick Gage beat the shit out of him. Yeah, he's still doing it. Um, I mean, but I, I don't think anything has been as noteworthy since the Nick Gage one, or else we probably would have heard some stories. But You would yeah. think. Yeah, he's still, I mean, good on him. He's practicing. He's going. You had some stuff that you wanted to talk about for this episode from some stuff you watched. Obviously, oh. since I haven't had a computer, I haven't been able to do as much pro wrestling watching as I would like. Wrestling Dentaku, uh, they had two parts this weekend. The first part... They had two main events, uh, They, or I guess maybe a double main event, technically. It was Cobb versus Tai Chi. And for the never open weight title, Cobb having his first defense, I was real mad at Tai Chi. He just kept rolling out of that ring. He, he was powdering. And this was maybe the first time that it went on so long that I was pissed off at him. 
<laughs> You've been getting worked hard this week. Oh, yeah. This has been a, a good week for me watching <laughs> wrestling and being like, God damn. <laughs> <laughs> Cobb, Do the honorable thing and fight him. Get in there and, Cobb, go out and catch that goddamn opera singer and beat his ass. Uh, <laughs> believe it or not, okay. Tai Chi, though, is starting to win me over. He was a guy that I never, he just wasn't on my radar much. His kicks are so hard. He kicked the shit out of Jeff Cobb at the end of this match. It was actually very good, but uh, believe it or not, Cobb lost his first title defense. Really? Yeah, so they they must have just put that on him to put Tai Chi over later. Just for shock factor at the uh, New York show? I guess. I mean, at that point, you kind of have to have somebody from another company win those belts, right? Or, you know, guess. go over. Otherwise, there's no drama. Yeah. Yeah. So that belt over on Tai Chi. And then I watch Dragon Lee versus Ishimori. Fuck. This is just this is what I want out of a pro wrestling match. It is. I love the junior heavyweight division over there. I mean, you get especially when it's a luchador fighting, you know, a, a guy that's doing strong style. Those two just complement each other so well. And when they finally get to the end where they're just doing high spot after high spot, there's some gnarly shit in this. Just at one point, Ishimori is standing on the ring apron and Dragon Lee takes off running, jumps over the ropes and catches him and gives him a hurricane Rana to the floor. Fuck. And just seeing him jump high enough to get over the ropes to take him to the floor was awesome. Uh, at one point, Ishimori kind of returned the favor, but sent Dragon Lee upside down and backwards into the guardrail. But can I drag- ask you something about this? Yeah. Like, like, is there a point where when you see, like you said, how like the high flying stuff complements the strong style and vice versa? Think of your favorite pro wrestling matches. Has there ever been a moment where that that style that you've watched the last few years, have you ever gotten numb to it or have you ever been overexposed? Like, do you, do you know what I mean? Like, like, is there a point where you're like, this is excessive? Yeah. See, as I was watching this, I was kind of thinking about that as it was going on, but they were doing such a good job of, cause you know, I wasn't expecting Cobb to lose the belt and as this match went on, it really seemed like Ishimori was going to take it away from Dragon Lee, which to me was about to, you know, destroy this awesome story of Takahashi coming back to win it back from him. And it just, it really kept seeming like Dragon Lee was going down. So once again, like they, they did a good job of keeping me on my toes where they're doing high spots and doing strong style, but you know, still going for pins enough that it seemed like somebody was going to, you know, either get pinned or tap out. Um, I mean, I'm sure there I've seen matches where it's guys just no selling and doing a shit ton of moves. But I think some of those when you're in attendance, when you see somebody do so many athletic feats, you kind of just get excited. It's at a certain <laughs> point, you're just watching fucking Cirque du Soleil. But I think in the moment you don't mind, but if you were at home watching it, I could see you getting kind of numb to that sometimes. You think being in the building for something that athletic, you're like, I have to applaud that. That's impressive. But from a storytelling standpoint, from your sofa, after a while, you're like, well, that's a bit excessive. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not tired of it yet. <laughs> I, was, I mean, you, that's fine, too. I, was, I wasn't trying to get a specific answer out of you. I was just curious as... I mean, because I think, like I said last week when it came up about that Jim Ross interview about guys in AEW, him trying to get them to do more selling. 
of stuff and really milking it a little bit, if that slows down the pace, if that changes things, like, will that change how you feel about a lot of these guys? That's a, that's a really good question. And I, I don't know. I, there's so much anticipation for AEW and how they're going to do things. And it's, it's really starting to, uh, it's starting to build up in me. You know, I'm like, I'm just ready to see it. Um, yeah, just, I'm ready for both sides to either have something to complain about or stop fucking complaining about something that doesn't exist. <laughs> You're ready for there to be something to actually critique. Exactly, because right now everybody's yelling at each other about literally nothing. About something that's going to exist soon. And then this is another thing that's bugging me. Guys, girls, if somebody, what I've seen lately is if I'm following like message boards and stuff for AEW, I'm seeing a lot of new fans coming into it. And, you know, being like, oh, man, who's this guy? He looks awesome. And then every comment under it's like, you dumb shit. You don't know who this is. You must not watch wrestling. Hey, we all have to get into these people at some. There's a starting point for some, right. you know, for everyone. You know, help bring them in. Why do we want to run them away? <laughs> so many W, like, I, I feel like indie fans talk shit on WWE fans and vice versa. Just find a happy middle and just say we all fucking love pro wrestling. Yeah. What, what do they call that? Gatekeeping? Where you act like it's, and it's the same, tie this back into professional sports. It's the same thing that happens in sports. You know, team gets good, player gets good, people start flocking because they're excited to see it happen. And you say, well, you weren't a fan or you didn't know about this guy years ago. What, like, whatever. Like, unless you, like, you're not faking it. What does faking it, like, get, get, like, what, what do you get out of that? Like, welcome the new fans in with open arms, get, let them, Show them why they should stick around, why their interest is justified, and quit doing this pissing contest. There's a lot of people who are going to watch WWE until the day they die, and that's fine. And there's a lot of people who are fed up with WWE who want something new and different, and they're going to go give AEW a try, and that's fine too. And there's people who are going to watch both. And there's people who watch New Japan and WWE or ROH and WWE. And there's no one thing that you have to watch. You don't have to be loyal to any one product. You can watch the entire spectrum. That's basically what the fuck we do here. <laughs> if, <laughs> For the perp. And if you Go want ahead. something to grow, you know, it needs fucking people watching it. The, you know, the more eyes on a product with people enjoying it, it's good for all of us. You know, and uh, just just like Bill and Ted said, man, be excellent to each other. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Speaking it, it, of being excellent to each other, we got a really fantastic review this week from somebody, and I would like to read that on air. Please. If I may. The title of this review for our podcast on iTunes, which if you haven't by now, you should go over to iTunes and give us five stars and leave a nice review. And if you do that... You can recommend something for us to watch or check out, as long as it can be mildly related to pro wrestling, and we'll do it. We'll talk about it on the show. We got a podcast this past Friday from Ivan Drago's ID, and the title of this is Derek's Birthday Present. Thank you, Ivan. goes like this. This is by far one of the best wrestling podcasts to listen to right now. Garrett and Derek's banter is always entertaining, whether it's about wrestling, movies, or their personal lives. And it's easy to tell they've had a lifelong friendship thanks to their great chemistry. Aww. 
They also have a vast knowledge and strong passion for all eras and styles of professional wrestling, along with insightful takes about the industry today. Upon learning of Derek's past life as an online role player, my question for both of you is this. If you joined an EFED, a fantasy wrestling league with storylines that progress through online role play, would you submit a character of your own creation, or would you create one from an existing fiction, or an existing piece of fiction, and then who would it be, and what would their gimmick, wrestling style, and finisher be? If allowed, I would also recommend you two to watch Shimmer 113 and the independent wrestling.tv family reunion from WrestleMania weekend. There's a ton of interesting and creative characters on the very indie scene. I love the very Indians reference there and stole the show for me personally and hope you both that does both this for the and hope they do the same for you. Sorry. Happy birthday, Derek. That was a big, long, nice review. That's that's awesome. Thank you. Ivan Drago's ID. Garrett, did you even know what an e-fed was until this uh, review got posted? No, I had no idea. I had to text you and ask. <laughs> yeah, and I had an answer. Ivan Drago's idea. Here's the, here's the thing. You found out last week I used to do MySpace role-playing. Was that last week, Garrett, or was that the week before? I think that was, was last week. All right. I used to do uh, Marvel role-play, Marvel Comics role-play on MySpace, but... Abandoned me I as love, a friend. I, yes, I abandon you as a friend. I'm I'm a total dick. <laughs> I used I loved writing so much. Any opportunity I got to write, I will tell you this: I was actually a part of a couple uh, efeds. One of which I created. Another one I used to be a part of on the wrestling website wrestleview.com. I was a uh, member of their discussion boards. And they had one set up there. And for those wondering where I got the name Halloween Halpin from, that actually started all the way back in an EFED. And between the EFED and me playing uh, Create a Wrestler on the SmackDown games, that is where the name Halloween Halpin came from because that was my gimmick. And it was sort of a play on Hollywood Hogan. And that was what I came up with. And I had a lot of fun with it. Um... Basically, every week they would book you in a match or give you a segment, and you had to write a promo. And basically, who was ever running the EFED would be convinced through you and your opponent's promos who they wanted to have go over and who they wanted to push. And I had a nice little run as Halloween Halpin. And I based a lot of my character around 2004 Captain Charisma Christian at the time. But yeah, to me, if you're going to bother going out of your way to be a part of an EFED, do something original. I mean, it's one thing to sit there and fantasy book with existing characters. But if you really want to sink your teeth into being a a creative writer, do something uh, from scratch. That's what I did. It's weird. Every episode, I can still learn something new about you. I had no idea. I just assumed Halloween Halpin was because you liked Halloween and your last name was Halpin. I didn't know that this was uh, another piece of your, your online past. Well, that's true. I mean, it, it is true that I love Halloween. I mean, I this was a lot of this. A lot of this just came together. I mean, there's a lot of things about me that just uh, coincidence, I guess you could say. Like even the fact that I like Halloween is that tied to the fact that I also really love the shit out of black and orange as a color scheme. Probably, but that's also they're also both true things, like just on their own. So, 
Yeah, that's if you didn't know where the uh, name Halloween Halpin came from. I was actually paired up in a tag team with a guy, and his name was Bulk Logan. <laughs> so it was Bulk Logan and Halloween Halpin. So, yeah. Where, where's Bulk at these days? I have no idea. It was a very short run, and then he stopped posting, so I got my singles career out of that. <laughs> like, actually, I don't know. Uh, Bulk, he, he was writing his, uh, he had a storyline that he was writing in Puerto Rico, and he never came back. <laughs> he got murdered in a locker room, and uh, yeah. Never I had something kind of embarrassing uh, happen to me this week, Derek. This doesn't, actually, it does have to do with pro wrestling. Did you shit your pants? Uh, no, no. Uh, I guess, yeah, we could have tied that into Stone Cold versus Yokozuna <laughs> if I did. <laughs> but so in my job, uh, a new a new gentleman started. He's a, a higher up at the company now. He is a former sports star. I don't I like where I work, so I'm not going to say where I work and I'm not going to say names here. But it, it's a guy that I, I was excited to meet a little bit. And for this day at work. I decided to wear my New Japan tracksuit. You did it intentionally. I mean, you kind of knew what you were getting into, right? Eh, I'll be honest. I didn't really remember that he was coming in for the first time that day. No. So so I had that on, and, you know, I'm dressed like an asshole. And we're, we're chatting uh, uh, the, the, the sport he plays. And as he's walking away, he goes, I said, yeah, I'm like, I'm right outside your office. And he goes, yeah, well, if you ever smell smoke coming in from in here, come help. I am such a fucking idiot, Derek, that my head went full Seth Rogen. And I was like, yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> and then I go tell Liam, like, yeah, this is what he said. And she goes, you idiot. He means like if his office is on fire, he's not inviting you in there to get high. In your defense, I may have made the same mistake. I, I really, really funny. Th- I thought he was just like, this looks like a guy who parties. <laughs> and you thought he was opening up to you about, hey, you look like a, da- a dude who smokes pot. So am I. Come on in. Let's and, do it at work. And I'm pretty sure my voice did really just be like, yeah, <laughs> let's do it. I like it. that you won't say the, the name of the place that you work or any of your coworkers, but you have no problem admitting, hey, I might have been willing to fucking <laughs> get high at my job. <laughs> Depending upon how cool the person is I'm doing it with. (laughs) Well, yeah, I was getting ready to be like, I would never, ever do that at work. And I have not, and I won't. But, you know, maybe Kevin Smith or Seth Rogen walk in and are like, Garrett, you want to do it? And I'm like, well, how can I pass up this opportunity? (laughs) (laughs) This is more important than my career. (laughs) Oh, shit. You did wear your New Japan tracksuit to work. That's a great way to, that's a great place to end this show. It is. It is. This was a lot of fun. Hey, everybody, thank you for listening. Hop on the social media. Give us a follow at Wrestle Hangout on Twitter, at Predetermined Podcast on Instagram, at Wrestle Hangout on Facebook. Be sure to leave us the five star reviews. If you leave us a five star review, we will watch anything you would like as long as you can tie it back into pro wrestling even a little bit. That means Mr. Nanny. That means that one episode of Baywatch with wrestlers. I'm sure you can find something from like TGI Fridays, not the restaurant, but you know, the, the television block. That I'm sure wrestlers were in there somewhere. I don't care. Hey, and we're going to watch that uh, Shimmer 113 and the independentwrestling.tv uh, show that you told us to watch last time. We're going to do that. So we will talk about that next week. Also, next week, I am going to, a little later tonight, actually, I am going to show my wife 
two current Rock and Roll Express matches from the last month and just have her react to those to me for, for about five or ten minutes. And uh, we'll put that on next week's episode as well. So that gives you something to look forward to. Well, this was fun. Loopy and different. Garrett, hit our goddamn music. <laughs>